that's Isaiah 44, starting at verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them then declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man, with the beauty of a man, to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. 
and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So it's Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. In a letter from 1954, a physicist Albert Einstein wrote these words. The word of God is for me nothing more than the expression of human weakness. The Bible, a collection of honourable but purely primitive legends, which are nonetheless pretty childish. Childish, primitive legends... As we learnt this weekend, Einstein claims to be the most, the tenth most influential person in the history of humanity. And were Einstein here today, I imagine he would feel the same about this passage. A man crippled from birth is healed by a word spoken by a pair of travelling preachers. A crowd genuinely mistakes them for Greek gods and they try to sacrifice cattle in their honour. Some parts of the Bible can feel very far removed from our day-to-day experience. And this one in particular feels like we've stepped back in time to a world that no longer exists. Even if we leave aside the miraculous healings, which we've suggested in previous weeks are about authenticating the gospel that the apostles carried, even leaving those healings aside, Zeus and Hermes, temples, sacrifices, people willing to worship others as gods. That's comic book stuff, museum stuff, primitive legend. This passage feels a far cry from our normal experience in 21st century London, which is a problem because this section of Acts is about Luke training us in what to expect when the good news of Jesus goes out to Gentile, non-Jewish regions just like ours. Luke is training us to share the good news of Jesus with people that we know, but the people in this passage seem very different. These people seemed like primitives, unscientific. They'd believe absolutely anything. They worship statues. You might say they're nothing like my friends and colleagues. What relevance could this passage possibly have in 21st century London? 
Well, I hope today that we're going to start to see that the people in this passage are much more like us and our friends and colleagues than we might like. Like us, like our 21st century offices, and like all humanity, the people in this passage are worshippers. And once we've seen that, Luke is going to begin to train us. When we speak of Jesus, whether in the first or the 21st century, we should expect confusion. And when we meet that confusion, we must be sure not to lose our clarity. We should speak the gospel with clarity. So first, even non-Christians are worshippers. Even non-Christians are worshippers. At the last count, about half of the UK population would say that they do not believe in a God or a higher power. And that number is rising year on year. The cultural feeling seems to be that humans are getting more advanced over time and that backwards primitive religion is being relegated to museums and history books. Increasingly, the people that we meet claim not to be worshippers. But that is simply not the case. Despite 21st century claims that we've moved past childish religion, every human being is a worshipper. And that's because we were made to worship. We were made to worship the God who created us, the Lord God of the Bible. That is the pattern of worship. But worship today doesn't look like that, as you can obviously tell. Uh, Since the beginning, humanity has rejected God's good gifts and turned away from him. Humanity denies that the universe has a loving creator who makes himself known to the world. But even when that happened, the human drive for worship didn't go away. All of us are still acutely aware that we are created. We're needy and vulnerable. So humanity has just redirected its worship, exchanged the creator for worshipping created things. Idols, as the Bible calls them. It can be a bit hard to think of this exchange. Uh, We're not used to thinking in terms of worship. Uh, So here are a couple of helpful questions that you can ask to see who someone worships. First, if not the Lord God of the Bible, whom do they thank when they are glad? Uh, Second, if not the Lord, whom do they call on when they're in need? Who do they think when they're glad? Who do they call call on when they're in need? Rather than calling on the Lord when they're afraid and recognising their need, we humans start to call on created things, on idols. This idolatrous worship is pretty obvious in Lystra, in the passage that we've just read from Acts. As I say, do keep that open. Lystra had a temple to Zeus and probably to other gods as well. Temples are set up to mediate that worship relationship. When you're glad, priests help you give thanks to the gods. And when you're afraid, uh, temples help you to call on your gods. With some of our friends, idolatrous worship will be similarly obvious. Uh, Some will have shrines in their homes or visit temples. But even our secular friends and colleagues, even though they say that they have left gods behind, they will have found something to worship. It might help to ask those worship questions that I suggested a minute ago. Who do they thank when they're glad? You hear plenty of people today talk about taking time to be thankful, 
whether consciously or unconsciously, though, that thankfulness has to be directed somewhere. You can't be thankful into the ether. You will be, to an extent, faithful on, uh, thankful to fate, uh, to the universe, or maybe it gets turned inwards on themselves in a sort of self-congratulation. A second question, who do they call on when they're in need? What do they trust in to make them feel secure? It could be money, stuff. If I have enough in my bank account, I'll be just fine. Or it could be that they cut out the middleman and turn the worship in on themselves. Say things like, I am the master of my fate. I had a friend in school and that was his favorite poem. I decide what is right and wrong. This passage that we've read today is deeply relevant because even non-Christians are worshippers. But there's certainly more to say about worship and idolatry. Uh, But let's start to think about how Luke is training us in this passage. What should we expect when the good news of Jesus is proclaimed in non-Jewish regions, regions where idols abound? And the answer is confusion. We should expect confusion. We're in verses 8 to 13. So far in Acts, when the gospel has been preached, the responses have either been acceptance or rejection. That's because the Jews worship the God revealed in the Old Testament. They already worship this creator God. So for them, when Jesus came along, it was a matter of accepting that Jesus was this creator God or rejecting Jesus. It was a straight choice, not a problem of understanding. It was a problem, problem of acceptance or rejection. And even the Gentiles in those regions, they had a basic familiarity with the God of the Bible. So they had a choice, accept him, revealed in Jesus, or reject him. But here in Lystra, when the gospel is preached in a place without a synagogue, and presumably without any significant Jewish witness, we get this new response, confusion. Verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done... They lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. This is confusion. And at the heart of this confusion is the Lyconians trying to fit the gospel into their existing religious categories. Because the gospel is radically different to anything in the ancient world. Uh, The Jewish, then the Christian claim that there is only one God who made everything. Uh, That's a unique claim. Other so-called gods that the Lyconians may have worshipped, they were reasonably happy just to claim one corner of the world or one corner of your life and just get on with each other. They're more like powerful spiritual beings. Paul and Barnabas coming to Lystra and saying that Jesus has been appointed as king over everyone and everything in the milieu of that religion is a radical claim. It is a radical claim that Jesus claims everyone and everything. So the Lyconians, rather than recognizing the radical nature of this claim and accepting it or rejecting it, they took the easier route and tried to fold what they heard from Paul and Barnabas into their own religious categories. Deliberately or subconsciously, they shrunk down the gospel to fit into their own religion. They saw Jesus powerfully at work in healing this crippled man, as we heard. But they attributed this healing to Zeus and Hermes. The gods have come down in the likeness of men, they said. 
They would have heard Paul and Barnabas speaking of Jesus, the one creator God revealed in human likeness. But the Lyconians, they were happier to accept Paul and Barnabas were their gods in human form rather than accepting Jesus, the creator God in human form. Do you see the thought process? These people couldn't possibly be saying anything different to what we already think. The Lyconians are confused. But at the heart of their confusion is that idolatry that we were talking about. The advantage of the religious systems of the world is that each god has their own corner of the world. So you can basically pick and choose which god you want to follow. If you're a blacksmith, you get to worship Vulcan, and he'll help you in your day-to-day work, perhaps. But there's nothing about Vulcan that demanded your worship. If you didn't want to, you could just stop being a blacksmith or move to an area that the god didn't claim. With idols, you are really the one in charge. You can choose which god you worship. But Jesus, Jesus claims everything and everyone. He claims that he is the Lord who created everything. And that means he has a unique claim to the worship of all of us. So the way the Lyconians twist the gospel, it's understandable. Unless Paul and Barnabas' message, unless it fits into their existing religious categories, they faced the uncomfortable reality that Jesus had a claim over their lives too. Jesus is the Lord, their creator and our creator. He deserves their worship and our worship. The gospel is uncomfortably different from what the world thinks about God. So people will try to smooth off the rough edges of the gospel to fit into their religious systems. So if that's going to happen, Luke is training us to expect it. He's training us to see this confusion in all sorts of forms. And we will see it in all sorts of forms in our daily lives, as our friends and our colleagues who don't worship Jesus try to smooth off the rough edges of the gospel. We live in an age where people are focused on feelings, Uh, so you're going to meet people who smooth out that the gospel is about salvation from judgment. Jesus will be shrunk down, and instead of the creator God who deserves worship, Jesus will be to them just another route to recovery, another way of feeling better when you feel sad. He will simply become a safety net, a religious crutch. I've got therapy, they might say. You've got Jesus, and that's wonderful for you. We live in an age where people care about right and wrong, good and evil, justice. So we're going to meet people smoothing out That it's God's goodness, the one God's goodness, against which all morality is determined. There is no morality apart from in reference to him. So they will shrink Jesus down, and instead of the creator God who deserves worship, Jesus will be to them just another teacher who helps us to be more ethical, better people. We both want to be better people, they might say. I've got Buddha, or I've got Marx, and you've got Jesus. That's great. In their hearts, people do not want to accept that Jesus is the Lord, with the unique and total claim on all of their lives. And the confusion that we're going to meet is the result of them shrinking down Jesus, so they don't need to accept his unique claim over them. 
Jesus is just another route to get what you want. And that is idolatry, pure and simple. We should expect confusion. But confusion doesn't feel like rejection. For Paul and Barnabas, being worshipped and adored by crowds of devotees, that must have felt pretty great, even. We might be pretty relieved or even pleased when our friends nod along when we talk about Jesus. Nodding along, like we basically agree on most things, and maybe we can just agree to all get on, and you've got Jesus and I've got my stuff. Though we probably know it's not okay, it is so easy to leave our friends and our colleagues who do not know Jesus confused. It's so easy to leave them confused. Obviously, there are wise and unwise moments to speak of Jesus and to clarify things and to push the issue. Obviously, people take time to grasp the full implications of the gospel. But the danger is that we become okay with lack of clarity because it is convenient for us. It avoids confrontation. It avoids us being rejected, as we heard about last week. Isn't it enough that my friends think that my faith is good or good for me, we might say? Isn't it enough that they speak positively of Jesus or the church or Christian morality? There are plenty of people in the news who speak positively of Christian morality. But Luke wants us to take our cue from Paul and Barnabas as they respond to confusion. Paul and Barnabas would definitely say this. Don't lose your clarity. That's verses 14 to 18. Don't lose your clarity. They might not put it in those terms, but that's the general gist. Paul and Barnabas didn't leave the Lyconians confused. As soon as they saw how badly the Lyconians had misunderstood the gospel, they clarified in a pretty dramatic way. Look down with me at verse 14. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring to you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, tearing your clothes and calling out the idolatry instead of worship of the one true God, that's a pretty dramatic clarification. I might not recommend it in your office or in your friendship groups, but would you be that bold? Would I go to those lengths to be clear with my friends? When you think about it, of course Paul and Barnabas went to those lengths to be clear. Luke calls them the apostles Paul and Barnabas in verse 14. Apostles meaning sent ones. They're messengers sent from the king of all creation and they are carrying good and momentous news. Of course, they're not going to let the Lyconians stay unclear on the message. Of course, Paul and Barnabas aren't going to nod along as the Lyconians shrink down Jesus' claims to something that's more acceptable, that fits more with their idolatry. Helping people to be clear on the gospel is a profoundly loving thing for us to do. Clarity is loving because idolatry is foolish and harmful. We bring you good news, they cry, that you should turn from these vain things. The idols that these people in Lystra were worshipping, these idols that our friends worship, they are vain and empty things. Idols have no power in themselves. 
They don't deserve our trust. They will only fail us and disappoint us. You see, Zeus and Hermes cannot give you life. Or for 21st century London, prosperity, money, people worship it. They devote themselves to acquiring it. They depend on it to make them feel safe. And it seems pretty trustworthy. It seems like there aren't a lot of things that money can't solve, especially here in the city. But ultimately, money is vain. It's empty. It will fail you. The security that it offers is fleeting. If you devote yourself to the worship of money, there will come a day when you are rich and dead. Or what about when people turn in and worship themselves instead of God? Worship their own intellect or ability or beauty. We're creatures, we get old. Our minds fail, our beauty fades. If we trust and worship those things, if we trust and worship ourselves, of course we're going to let ourselves down. In your moment of deepest distress, when you cry out to an idol, you will be alone. And idolatry isn't just foolish and empty, it hurts too. Idols can't truly give. They take and they take and they take. When they don't work, the solution is always more worship. It's always more sacrifice. Giving more and more extravagant gifts to the statue in the temple, hurting yourself to show your devotion. And even the idols that our friends and our colleagues worship are like this too. For those who trust in money, they will sacrifice more and more of themselves to get enough money to be safe and to be happy. Money will keep asking more and more of them. And it is a profoundly unloving thing to leave somebody chasing after an idol like money that cannot possibly save them and ultimately will eat them alive. But being clear on the gospel is loving because idolatry is pointless and harmful. And clarity is loving because the gospel offers something far, far better. Let me read what Paul and Barnabas said again. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Of course, Paul and Barnabas went out of their way to be clear. Paul and Barnabas had the privilege of going into these towns for the very first time these towns enslaved to idols, and announcing the news that the living God is here to rescue, and he is very, very good. Idols simply do not compare with the living God. Idols are limited and will fail us, but the God of the Bible is the creator. He made everything. Of course, there will never be a situation in which he is powerless. He is the living God overflowing with life. Of course, he can keep us safe even through death. He's the living God and he is very, very good. Look down at verse 16. In past generations, he allowed all of the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul and Barnabas are announcing good news because God was merciful even to humanity that rejected him. 
Even when humanity walked in their own ways and worshipped idols, God was good. God is good to our friends and our colleagues as he gives them food and satisfaction, as he gives them continued life, even as they continue to reject him. God has proved his goodness. So Paul and Barnabas could come into a Gentile town that had never heard of the God of the Bible and say that God is calling. The living God is calling. Through the good news of Jesus, carried to the ends of the earth by his people, God is calling sinners back to him. He's calling sinners back to him through us as we go into our offices, our homes, our schools. Of course, we should be clear on the gospel message with our friends and colleagues. We have good news of their creator God calling them home. Of course, we should be clear. And if you're here today as somebody who doesn't follow Jesus, it's wonderful that you're here, can I say? And I hope that I too, like Paul and Barnabas, am being clear The Bible's claim is that there is a living God who made you and everything and has a unique claim on your life. He is very, very good and has shown that goodness in so many ways. But ultimately, in coming in the person of the Lord Jesus to rescue us, to rescue you from the clutches of idols that will only harm you and let you down. Jesus is offering you real life. But for the rest of us, those of us who do follow Jesus, I hope that this passage is relevant to us today. I hope we've seen the relevance. I hope we've seen the relevance as we seek to share the good news with our friends and colleagues who worship idols. Everybody worships. If not the creator God revealed in Jesus, what our friends are worshipping is an idol. And whether they worship those things, whether they worship other gods, whether they worship money or power or themselves, they are worshipping idols and those idols will only let them down. As we speak of Jesus into this sort of world, we should expect confusion. But be loving and clear because we have very good news. As the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth, Jesus is destroying idols freeing people from masters that will only hurt them and destroy them. He is freeing people to live how they were made to be in worship of their loving creator. So as we seek to join in that wonderful work, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are so much better than the idols that the world turns to in place of you. Please give us the confidence and love to be clear about who you are and the worship that you deserve. Amen.